KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon, hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com. Good morning. I'm Kinsey Moreland in for Annika Colbert. It's Thursday, February 18th. The county's largest vaccination superstation was back open yesterday after supply shortages closed it down. But now the county says it will again pause vaccinations at some locations today. That story coming up, but first, the headlines. The San Diego Union-Tribune analyzed data that shows that San Diegans of Latino, Black, and Asian descent are being vaccinated at lower rates than their white counterparts. That mirrors a statewide study of data that we reported on earlier this week. UT Biotech reporter Jonathan Wozen told KBBS Midday Edition yesterday that the rate discrepancy can be attributed to lack of access to technology and transportation, difficulties using that technology, and language barriers in addition to hesitancy over getting the vaccine. And those power blackouts that have hit Texas may have an impact on our energy supplies soon. Severe freezing weather in other parts of the country has dramatically increased demand for natural gas. And that means San Diego is facing a shortage in its own energy supplies. Natural gas used in San Diego comes primarily from Texas, and that state, of course, has been hit hard by extreme weather. As a result, SDG&E and SoCal Gas, which ships natural gas to San Diego, have been reaching out to big customers like San Diego State to warn them of possible disruptions. They have also asked them to conserve energy. Fernando Tatis Jr. will be a padre for a very, very very long time. The young player has signed a 14-year, $340 million contract extension. MLB.com says it's the third largest contract extension in terms of new money added and the longest ever contract extension in baseball history in terms of years. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, We've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. snowy, bitter cold weather in much of the country is having a direct impact here in San Diego. More shipments of COVID vaccines are being delayed. KPBS reporter John Carroll reported on that on Wednesday. He also outlined a new deal struck between the governor and lawmakers to help ease the burdens that so many are experiencing due to the pandemic. 
The vaccination superstation at Petco Park reopened today. Whether it remains open is an open question. We have received word that several shipments that were scheduled to arrive uh, this week will not be arriving due to weather. In the county's Wednesday news conference, Supervisor Nathan Fletcher said beginning tomorrow, the county will likely have to pause vaccinations at some locations. He didn't say which ones. Fletcher says the county will also have to reschedule some existing appointments. But he says supply chain issues should work themselves out over the next week to 10 days. Then, Fletcher says the county, along with other vaccine distributors, will throttle back up and move into the next tier of recipients. We do believe uh, and have a high degree of confidence that at the first week of March, uh, we will be able to move into that first tier of essential workers. Uh, teachers, food and agriculture, and law enforcement. At the state level, Governor Newsom continued his tour of vaccination sites. These things don't just magically arrive in the grocery store. Newsom was in Coachella today and he broke some news. He's reached a deal with lawmakers on small business grants, one-time $600 stimulus checks for low-income Californians, and housing for farm workers who've gotten COVID. The $24 million program will pay for farm and food processing workers to stay in hotels if they contract the virus and have no place to quarantine. Newsom also talked about the state's rapid improvement in COVID numbers. One month ago today, we had 11.3% positivity in the state of California. Today, it's 3.3%. One month ago today, we had 42,000 reported cases. Today, just over 4,000. Newsom says over the last two weeks, there's been a 38% reduction in the number of people hospitalized with COVID-19. Supervisor Fletcher reported the same positive situation for San Diego County, the numbers continuing to move in the right direction. Like Fletcher, the governor says the state is ready to ramp vaccinations way up as soon as the weather cooperates and the federal government increases its allocation to California. And that story from KPBS reporter John Carroll. In Chula Vista, first responders are delivering vaccinations to seniors just steps away from their homes. KPBS reporter Matt Hoffman has more on the new program that aims to help those most at risk of coronavirus. The Chula Vista Fire Department is bringing vaccinations directly to South Bay seniors, part of an effort called Operation Immunity. On Wednesday, crews were set up at the community center at Terry's Mobile Home Park in Chula Vista. Some residents there, like Sung Ja Oh, say before this, she did not know where to get vaccinated. I just appreciate they come here and help us out, you know, so we don't have to worry about go somewhere and, you know, you know, looking for transportation. A lot of people can drive over here, you know, the people who live here. The program recently started and is a partnership between Chula Vista Fire and San Diego County that is also reaching those unable to leave their homes. Homebound seniors over 65 in Chula Vista can call 619-476-2397 to schedule a vaccination appointment. Some prominent researchers, including two from here in San Diego, are now calling on federal officials to do a better job at explaining how COVID-19 spreads. KBBS reporter Eric Anderson has details. Airborne transmission is probably the way most people contract COVID-19. UCSD atmospheric chemist Kim Prather says tiny aerosols can fill the air in a poorly ventilated room, allowing for transmission even after an infected person leaves the space. Indoors, aerosols are like 
being in the room with a smoker. There's no other way to describe it. Um, it they float out. They're produced just by simply speaking, not by coughs or sneezes. They just come out of people when they're talking. Prather and a dozen other researchers are asking the Centers for Disease Control to update safety guidance to acknowledge that risk. I honestly believe that once, and this is the whole point of the letter, I honestly believe that once we acknowledge it's in the air, that's the main way it's getting to us, then we can implement all the measures that we need to make. make. We can give the proper, you know, put in the proper infrastructure. We can tell people how to make sure their air is clean. Prather says adequate masks, better ventilation, and indoor HEPA filters can go a long way toward lowering the risk inside. Don Milton of the University of Maryland is among the academicians and doctors asking the CDC to acknowledge the airborne risk. The country's moving forward to tackle this pandemic, ramping up vaccines, expanding the use of masks and addressing the disparate impacts of the virus on people of color. But to see, be really successful, we must finally recognize inhalation exposure. The scientists joined several prominent health organizations to ask the government to create guidelines reducing the risk of transmission for workers. Federal officials indicate they are not changing their approach. So San Diego is one of the few areas of the country that is not currently being battered with winter storms and freezing temperatures. But we are looking at one of the driest Februaries on record. Meteorologist Alex Tardy of the National Weather Service here in San Diego spoke to KBBS Midday Edition host Maureen Kavanaugh about the extremes of this year's winter weather. Yeah, so here we are in the middle of February, and February is our wettest month on our normals when you look at state of California or even Southern California. So it should rain in February. Right now, as we stand in February, we're looking at deficits here in San Diego that are three and a half inches below where we should be. So despite the rain we had in late January, we are well short. So we're basically around 50 percent of where we should be. Why aren't we getting many winter storms? Well, the main issue is the storm track. And it's not like there's less storms. It's just that they're all passing quite a bit far to our north and they're going into the Midwest and almost completely missing us on the occasion. You know, we've had five storms this year, but five is not enough uh, this deep into the winter. Are we heading toward a drought? Yeah, right now we're in a deficit of precipitation. And what that means, the difference between that and drought is uh, we have a long-term deficit basically this winter. So we're entering into a short-term drought. We're not really into a true drought when you talk about water supply shortages, or other type of impacts. Now, Northern California, different story. Now, meanwhile, another major winter storm is heading from the midsection of the country to the East Coast. How many storms does that make it in the last week or so? It's been several storms, um, minimal three. It really started in about mid-January. Here we are talking in mid-February. The past couple weeks, it's really accelerated Storms are going by to our north, but they're carving across Texas, gathering that Gulf moisture, and then moving up the East Coast. The other thing that's happened that really changed this month is the cold air out of Canada. Uh, So it's really, we call it the polar vortex or that sort of speak, but the cold air has come down out of Canada, often as it does in February, but it's been anchored. And so when you have the ingredients of an active storm track, the cold air and the moisture out of the Gulf of Mexico in the middle of the country, 
That's the recipe for really big and messy storms. Why have places like Texas, Oklahoma, Louisiana been hit so hard by winter storms this year? When the cold air finally decided to come down from Canada and Alaska, uh, and, and basically we're taking their cold air, it's been much colder in North Texas and the Midwest than it has been in parts of Alaska. So we're literally stealing their cold air. And so when we actually get that cold air, then you end up in a situation where you're having snow, freezing rain, and very nasty travel conditions like we've been seeing. Yeah, more than 25 people have died from these storms. Any sign of a break coming for these states suffering from storms and power outages? Not really a long-term break. The storm track still remains active. The good news is that we do see the cold air that's really causing all of this shifting to the north, back into Canada. And what about San Diego? Will we be seeing some more storms anytime soon and get some rain? Yeah, it doesn't look like it. So for the month of February, most indications are that the precipitation that we do get would be light. Light precipitation, it gets us further behind in our deficit. And when we get into the springtime, we could be talking about the development of drought here and even in Southern California, not just Northern California. And we don't see much promise in March. Now, I do think though, because of the storm track being so active and coming out of Canada, we will see a couple more storms that are significant as we roll through March. It's just that they're going to be few and far between. So we're still talking about overall dry conditions. We are looking at a mild trend, too, coming up for the latter half of February where things start getting more mild, um, and, and that will really make it feel spring-like. And you can listen to the full interview with Tardy and KPBS's Maureen Kavanaugh by finding and subscribing to KPBS Midday Edition wherever you listen to podcasts. And coming up, a move toward righting historical wrongs with reparations. We'll have that story after a quick break. Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com. So maybe you've heard a little bit about this. The state of California is seriously looking into reparations for African-Americans. Here's KBBS Midday Edition host Jade Hindman with more. For African-Americans, America has bad credit. As the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. said in his I Have a Dream speech nearly 50 years ago, the country has defaulted on its promise of 40 acres and a mule, along with liberty and justice for all. Now the state of California has started a commission to study reparations. Adisa Alcabalon is a professor of Africana Studies at SDSU, and he makes the case for reparations in an opinion piece he wrote for the San Diego Union-Tribune. I spoke with him recently. Here's that interview. 
California is talking about reparations. Secretary of State Shirley Weber, who was previously a state assembly member for the 79th District, uh, authored Assembly Bill 3121 to study and develop reparations proposals for African Americans. What do you think California and this country needs to study as it pertains to reparations at this point? I mean, what's left to look into? Well, honestly, I don't think there's a whole lot uh, to study. I mean, certainly the data uh, already exists uh, that let us know about, uh, you know, educational advancement, uh, economics, uh, incarceration rates, uh, birth rates. I mean, there are just a number uh, of metrics that we could look at uh, to see that African Americans are still uh, in a state of oppression in in this country. So, you know, I don't know that we necessarily have to study it, uh, but perhaps from a political you know standpoint, uh, that is you know considered a necessary step uh, on the path to uh, truly dealing with reparations. But I am proud of the work that our Secretary of State did, Dr. Shirley Weber. Uh, I hope that the state of California, you know, kind of do right by its African-American citizens, uh, but also serve as a model for the rest of the country, you know, for what, for what can happen. When we have this conversation about reparations, many people think it's just about slavery. Uh, But you point out that reparations would need to address contemporary forms of oppression and everything in between. Can you explain that a bit more? Oh, absolutely. I mean, of course, enslavement uh, is the original sin uh, of this nation. And, you know, the situation that African-Americans find ourselves in today is a result uh, of that Uh, troubled, traumatic history. But subsequent to enslavement, I mean, we had years of uh, Jim Crow segregation, uh, racialized violence in, uh, you know, terrorism really directed towards African Americans with lynching and uh, sexual assaults were also something that was a pandemic in African American communities or, or racialized sexual assaults. Uh, so there were there are a number of forms of oppression and discrimination uh, since enslavement that is also a part of the reparations debate, and in fact, that's most significant uh, to the re- reparations conversation than enslavement itself. So, what do you think reparations should be for African Americans? Well, I think it can be a number of things. I think it should be a number of things, whether we're talking about housing grants, uh, free public education, or free post-secondary education, free health care. And of course, you know, health care is something that is a right that all Americans should have, uh, but that's definitely one of them. Uh, I think that a targeted affirmative action program uh, should certainly be implemented. Of course, we have affirmative action nationwide, of course, but the primary beneficiaries uh, even of affirmative action uh, are white women. So I think that, you know, reparations can take and should take uh, a number of forms and really not just one. What role then does social justice play in reparations and why is it so important? I don't think that this country could really move forward uh, and truly be what it has always said it was uh, without actually living up to these ideals of of social justice. I mean, 
the United States government and its citizens since its birth have always gone uh, about the world promoting itself in such a way that doesn't really reflect the reality of the people that actually live here, uh, or, lot, or or at least in this context, uh, African Americans. So, so social justice is very much a part of reparations. But to add to that, when and if reparations are awarded to African Americans, there must also be put in place preventative measures so that these kinds of things do not happen again. So it's really not enough uh, to provide reparations without truly creating a just and good multicultural society. So social justice is very much a part uh, of reparations. It's reparations itself, but it's also instituting preventative measures uh, to ensure that we live in a society that we uh, think we should live in, a just society. And reparations aren't a new concept for America. Can you talk a bit about that? Well, it's not. You know, this conversation of reparations for, you know, African-Americans, you know, or reparations for African-Americans is not this pioneering, you know, revolutionary strategy or tactic to address past wrongs, uh, but it's one in a line of reparations. I mean, you know, when we talk about reparations for Japanese Americans for their unconscionable internment in concentration camps during World War II. There has been reparations given to indigenous people of, of this country, not nearly enough, but that, that happened. Even, you know, to, to an extent, you know, Jewish Americans have received, you know, reparations for something that the, the type of anti-Semitism that didn't actually take place here in the United States. So there is a, there is a blueprint for reparations uh, in, in this country, and there's no justifiable excuse to support reparations uh, for other groups and then deny reparations for uh, African Americans. Why do you think it's taken so long for America to just now begin to talk about reparations? Well, I think the protests of 2020 uh, put the plight of African Americans uh, front and center in this country. I think that if the pandemic and the protests never happened, we wouldn't be having this conversation uh, today. So I think that's the reason why uh, we are having the conversation. Uh, But hopefully, uh, unlike some of the conversations that we have had, which have been very much cosmetic, uh, just kind of scratching the surface, but hopefully this discussion of reparations, you know, will eventually have much more traction. And that was SDSU professor of Africana Studies, Adisa Alkebulan, talking with KPBS Midday Edition host Jade Heineman. And that is it. That is the show for today. Thanks so much for listening. And look, Annika is actually off today because she's busy helping with our on-air pledge drive. And if you are listening to this podcast, you probably already know that we at KPBS depend on people like you for most of our funding. We are public media after all, and that is how this whole thing works. So yeah, you probably know all this, but have you actually done anything about it yet? Have you taken that next step to become a member? If you have, thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you haven't, just take a minute and do it now. Go to kpbs.org donate and become a supporting member today. Thanks in advance.
Hi, I'm Bill Hohen. And I'm Ted Hohen. Over the past 50 years, our family has brought many world-class dealerships to Carlsbad, including Mercedes-Benz, Porsche, Audi, Honda, Acura, Jaguar, and Land Rover. That's right. This year, we're celebrating 50 years in Carlsbad. So on behalf of the entire Hohen family, we want to thank San Diego. Throughout the years, we've taken tremendous pride in meeting and even exceeding our customers' automotive needs. We value the relationships with our clients and look forward to serving you for years to come. We invite you to visit one of the Hohen Carlsbad dealerships or hohenmotors.com.